so stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone. I would normally have a really witty line, but we've just spent the last hour laughing over draft reactions. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 49 of Motorsport 101 and um, yeah, it's been a fun time. Like, like we, we were meant to record this like an hour before we actually started, but it turns out we were laughing so much at the immediate reaction to us releasing the Motorsport 101 Fantasy Draft that um, <laughs> we would just be like me and my co-host in question, Mr. Ryan King, I spent like the last hour just completely laughing over the reactions the discussions it's been it's been unbelievable king to say the least hasn't it <laughs> yes the reaction incredible I, I i think it was much better than we ever expected for this episode we thought it was you know it was it was a fun idea that it would be fun for us to do yeah it was it, it's it's again we have to give a massive shout out to rj o'connell because he was the guy that tweeted me saying D dre do a dre reef on the idea and i'm like wait a minute we can we, we can go one better than this i think and then and shout out to RJ. He's a big listener, and um, he's a great guy. And uh, it was his, it was really his idea to, that, that that made us do it. And um, I mean, looking back, King, it was a very very fun thing to do, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Like I I can't like I I don't want to confirm anything, but I mm -hmm. really can't wait to do this again sometime. <laughs> Yeah, we we, 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 we we will find a way to do this again. Like, we have to find a way to do this again because this was just so much fun. And and like I said, the reactions to fans of the show, listen, I mean, the buzz when we released, because obviously by the time you listen to this um, on, on Friday or maybe Wednesday if you're on early access, by the time it's obviously, it's, it's, it will have been long finished, but the initial buzz and reactions to draft picks coming through and people finding out um, you know, the certain guys were going here and certain guys were going there. It was unbelievable. And I, I, I it, it's, it's, I've never had more fun be owning the podcast than right here, right now, just watching the reactions go through the buzz on the, on, on, on F1's Twitter from seeing people, you know, announcing that certain picks were going here, certain picks were going there. I mean, we've had over 50 plays on the episode already in like the first hour we've released it it's unbelievable the amount of buzz this is getting and um again and just everybody in advance thank you for listening thank you for voting on the ballots thank you for being involved it was it's 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 been an absolute pleasure to put it together and uh, i mean i was really really excited for this for this to come out once we finished i thought this was this was going to be amazing and it, it's turned out i think to be that so thank you all so much for supporting that and uh Couple of shout outs I want to mention real quick as well. Shout out to Scott Baxter that bought one of our shirts. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. A big thank you to a big fan of the show. Rhino GT4. I mean, legendary racing game let's play. I mean, the guy is like he, the guy's 100%ed Gran Turismo 3 and 4 and is about to start Forza 3. May the good Lord help him for his masochism. But he's now a Patreon backer, so massive thanks. To, um, to Rhino. He's a real big fan of him. Check him out on YouTube. Um, Rhino GT4, one of the real Deadpan, great guys um, on YouTube. Genuinely a great guy to, to, to interact with. A real big fan of ours as well. He's done so much to plug us over the last month or so. He's been tremendous in that regard. So big thanks to Rhino on that one. Um, much, much appreciated. 
as you notice, it's just me and King this time around. Johnson is far too busy reveling in the reactions of our draft picks. Um, so it's just the two of us this time around. And we got a fair bit to get through, actually, because we had a very action-packed MotoGP weekend at the Saxon Ring as Mark Marquez wins for the seventh year in a row. But how he got there was rather unbelievable. We'll talk about that um, as the rain came down in Germany. We'll talk about Rossi and the Wet Crusaders. Um, Quintanilla Petrucci, Jack Miller, Hector Barber are all involved in battles for the win, but all of them eventually getting it wrong. You'll see why that was later on. Um, we'll talk about Moto2 as Johan Zarco stole a win at the final corner off, off the grip of Jonas Volga, looking for a home win. And Kairui Powie is back. <laughs> Guys, Argentina was not a fluke. He really is that good in the wet. Like, seriously. It's terrifying. But um, another crazy Moto3 race, but not for the normal reasons you'd expect. We'll talk about that later on in the show. We'll talk about IndyCar as IndyCar returned to Toronto, and it kind of sucked. Um, we'll talk about why that was, including a pit lane that wasn't where it was supposed to be, the caution deciding the win, Scott Dixon being un-Dixon-like un in just how being angry he was and how he was only the second most mad person in his own family. More about that later, as Will Powell would take a win, and all of a sudden we'll talk about the title race, and all of a sudden, let's say we've got a championship again. Hmm. Crazy. We'll talk about the Italian Grand Prix potentially going to Imola. Huh? Uh, we'll talk about MotoGP going to Finland, and oh, stay through to the end of the show. We have a very special announcement regarding episode 50. So stay tuned for that as well. It is our 50th episode next week. We, well, yeah, kind of saw the next week maybe. We'll have to wait and see how it all goes. But we're very, very excited for episode 50. We've got something special announced for that too. So cross your fingers. And, you know, hopefully by the time you're listening, it's already been confirmed what we're going to do. But I'll have to keep you on your toes for the next hour or so. And I'll tell you at the end of the show why it's going to be special. So, King, <laughs> MotoGP at the Grand Prix of the Saxon Ring. It's been known as Marquez Land before he's won here. Six years in a row, he's just made it seven, and King, this kid just continues to amaze us all. Oh, against against all the odds, including Mother Nature, somehow Mark Marquez was able to pull out a victory in... Oh, God, what? I, I would call it somewhat a Grand Prix of two halves, where, mm. where the, the opening round tend... Where the opening half tend to, you know... Be a bit dull, but kind of, kind of. It, you weren't gonna win the Grand Prix in the first half, but you certainly could lose it in the first half. Very much so. And again, like given that, like for what it's worth, the Moto Two race that was about an hour before it, like the rain was at its absolute worst. Like the track was borderline un unrideable. It like there was there was twelve crashes. Um, or twelve different riders crashed the bike in Moto Two, but it stopped raining about. 10 minutes into the race and the Saxon ring dries out remarkably quickly so it turns out we actually had a flag to flag race in the Saxon ring for the second time in the last three years we've had a flag to flag race in Germany and it Marquez was not in good shape he would he, he'd started from pole sure because you know you know he's stupidly fast around here but he fell back through the field in the early going and he had a very lucky escape on lap 12 from what I like to call the turn 8 of poor judgment as uh, the, the the corner that wreaked havoc in Moto2 with half a dozen riders crashing there. Marquez had run it wide, run through gravel, was able to keep it upright, kept the power going, was able to recover, but he dropped to ninth place. 
But as the track was drying out, he was the first man or the first real front runner to blink. I mean, King, did you see Laurie Spaz try to be the first guy to do it? Yes. yes. <laughs> that was so predictable. But like, oh. I knew Laurie Spaz would be the first man to try it because Laurie Spaz is a crazy man. <laughs> like Laurie Spaz, did, he was the first guy to blink in Masano last year when they had their flag-to-flag race. And it ended up with him finishing fourth, the second best open-class finish in the history of MotoGP. And Baz tried it. It was too early. He parked it and got back on the wet bike again. <laughs> and then changed back to the dry bike again three laps later. <laughs> like, if, if you have to switch back to your bike, it's race over. There's no possible way you could salvage that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, just it's not like a Formula 1 pit stop where, you know, a, a, a change in strategy is not all... It's not massive. Like, you might lose 18, 20 seconds. In a MotoGP pit lane, it's more like 40, 50 seconds because... The pit lane speed limit, I think, is like 36 miles an hour. It's really slow, and changing bikes is not an instantaneous thing. Um, so, yeah, Baz had completely ruined his race for a gamble, which, hey, you know, he thought it was worth trying it, which is a couple of laps too early. But Marquez, and it was Marquez and Scott Redding that were the first real of the front runners to blink. Redding put on intermediate tyres, but Marquez put on slicks, and I thought, the man is absolutely bonkers to, to even try this. But yeah, he's put slicks on the bike. He's come out. We're thinking, okay, where's Marquez in relation to the leaders? Because the late, because the lead, it, that was King. It was a big leading group. I think it was Dovi, Rossi, Hector Barbara, Danilo Petrucci, and I believe it was um, Jack Miller was in there as well. Um, <laughs> like as time had gone on, Marquez was just obliterating them on the dry tires, and then the other guys in the front and leading back just refused to pit. Yeah, they the leading pack were clearly sitting ducks, and by the time they chose the pit, it was far too late. The advantage they had was gone, and Mark Marquez was a freaking rocket out there. I've never seen anyone so much quicker than the leading pack in on a MotoGP bike. It was insane. It was insane, Mike. Like the Saxon Ring is not a long circuit, and in the dry, it's, it's an eighty-second lap round there. Marquez was going eight seconds a lap faster. If this was a qualifying session, the wet runners would not be making the 107%. That is how fast he was going in the section. It was just fastest lap, fastest lap, fastest lap. Marquez was just a man possessed in uh, as he came out of there. And you could see he was on the ragged edge He was because tr- he knew what he had to do. He knew he had to chase it down. Marquez, after the race, said he felt like it was the best way to stay in rhythm was to just go for it. And I'm like... Oh, God. <laughs> the man is mental. But um, it's 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 incredible. It was an unbelievable comeback. I mean, by the time that, you know, Marquez was bearing down that all the field had pretty much stopped except for Jack Miller. Miller, was, I think, was, was trying to commit himself to the dry strategy. But, again, by that point, it was it, it was too late. Like, Miller was losing about a second and a half per sector <laughs> to Marquez. Miller got out of the way real sportingly. Um, I don't think he wanted to upset the boss if um, he was known for a Miller-Marquez clash somewhere on track. <laughs> but um, Marquez would go on to win the race by about eight seconds. I mean... King, did you see Cal Crutchlow come through at the end there? I mean, I've never seen Cal look so good on a bike. Holy crap. Yeah, Cal, Cal was very strong on the bike yesterday where it, it seemed what I think who he clashed with where, where it wasn't really a clash, but it was he was racing against. Uh, was it Redding near the end of the race where him and Redding were? Yeah, Redding was fading fast on the intermediate tire at the end of the race and Crutchlow was on the drive. Crutchlow was the fastest man on track in the last five laps. 
Yeah, he was quick. He he really came to grips with the track, his bike, and he just had everything dialed in, and he knew that he was going to get that podium no matter what. Yeah, he finished second, matching his career-high finish at the Saxon Ring from three years ago, so props to him for that, and he may have seen a celebration in, in, in Park Fermi where he's on the phone to his, uh, his wife. <laughs> the back phone. Yeah, on the phone, who saw it live on the hard camera because his his wife is literally about to pop. Um, I think she's I think she's due. I think any day now. <laughs> Apparently, she wasn't watching. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, like I I find that amazing that that, that was a thing. But um, also shout out to uh, King's favorite cyclist Mark Cavendish for spoiling the whole thing on Twitter for him. <laughs> oh dear God, yes, because I, I like. Just behind the scenes note, I wasn't able to watch the MotoGP race until before we, you know, started to record this. So I actually got the results spoiled spoiled to me by Mark Cavendish because I was like, okay, I'm going to watch the Tour de France. I have like a specific Twitter list of like all the riders and stuff like that. And then when the when the stage is over, Mark Cavendish is like, oh, props to my man, um, <laughs> props to my man uh, Cal Crutchlow on getting the podium. It's like sad I can w- wait to watch it because my wife Petitad spoiled it for me. And I'm like, damn, well, you just spoiled it for me, Mark Cavendish. <laughs> How dare you? It is, no, it is. That's one Isle of White Man, to, uh, one Isle of Man, man to another, right there. That's that's why he's gone and spoiled that. Uh, that that's what's done it. It's like it's a brotherhood on that island, quite frankly. Bastards. <laughs> but um, that was the thing. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of angles to take from this Grand Prix King, and I mean, we got to start with Marquez, and I mean, just. Given the context of the championship, where Marcus had a 24-point lead going into this race, um, he's in ninth. I don't think you could blame him if he played it safe and see if you can maybe recover a top five by the end of the Grand Prix, if you can keep it going, because Hondas have not been strong in the wet this season at all. And for Marquez to have the balls to take that gamble, to put on the slick tyre, and for it to come off and for him to win... In, in the Saxon ring for the seventh year running. I mean, the, in in what's already been a career full of highlights and legendary moments, I mean, this might be the greatest of them all. I mean, this this is just absolutely ridiculous for Marquez. Yeah, I mean, I, Marquez being so good at this track, he probably knows his track like the back of his hand. And he, he probably, while it was a gamble, it was a calculated one. He, he knew that he had the opportunity to really put the hammer down. And he took that chance, and it turned out spectacular for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It was, it was, it was the perfect decision. He got it absolutely spoiled, and the track was just about dry enough where he could do it, it was on the six, he was able to get heat into the tyre, and once once he got the confidence down, it was over. Simple as that, and I mean, on, on the flip side, on the flip side of, of, of the situation, King, I mean, look at the Yamaha camp, I mean, I said on Twitter, there's going to be deep, deep conversations in that Yamaha camp regarding how this race played out, I mean, Valentino Rossi was in a position where he could challenge for the win, for the, for the second wet race, because it happened at Assen, a fortnight, I mean, three weeks prior, where he was in contention for the win. He, he, I mean, we all know Rossi's wet confidence is up there with anybody. And they, they got it wrong. They got it very, very wrong. I mean, he, he, he finished in eighth in the end, and he, Rossi was open enough to admit that even if they had made the right tyre choice and um, put the slicks on, 
he still doesn't think he would have finished any higher than sixth. And he feels that, you know, they got it wrong. I mean, he came in three laps too late. But if you, you watched the race, you could see on the pit board, they had to sign for box. Like, they were telling Rossi to come in three laps before he did. And it's the second time he's done this now, King. And does Rossi not trust his team? Um, it seems like it. It seems like he either doesn't trust them or he believes that he knows better than them. Which doesn't make any sense when they have they have all the information at their disposal they they know that they they have way more information than rossi does on the bike Absolutely. where you really have to take their opinions into a higher standing than your own when they when they say come in you should strongly consider coming in either that lap or the next lap yeah i mean they told him to box rossi ignored the call for two or three laps and it, it, it bit him in the ass. It bit him hard in this case because he fell down into eighth and it wasn't as bad as Jorge Lorenzo who went on. I think Lorenzo was the last man to put the slick tyre on. And I mean, we'll get to Lorenzo in a minute here, but I mean, King, it's, it's just... This is, the, this is the second major mistake from Rossi in the wet since this season has begun. And in a season where it seemed like Yamaha was going to run away with this championship, it's another black mark against Rossi, and it's it's a long way back for him now in this championship now, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's long, long road back. I think it's over, I think yeah, it's over it, for Rossi. Yeah, for, for Rossi, it's over. For, for everyone else, it's basically mathematically still possible, but legitimately, you're dangling by a thread for anyone else's championship hopes where I think Rossi, even though Rossi says he has two years left, I really think he should consider maybe next season being his last season. It's not that he's not fast enough anymore. It's just that he's not consistent enough anymore. I mean, he's now 59 points off the top of the championship now. I mean, Sure, Marquez has had erratic moments, but I don't see where Rossi is going to gain 60 points on Marquez between now and the end of the season. And Rossi, the one thing you would normally associate with Rossi is near bulletproof consistency. Like, Rossi just doesn't normally make mistakes. He's the kind of guy that will always, almost always bring the bike home. And he's had three DNFs this year and a, a botched finish that could have easily been a lot better but he finished in eighth in a race he could have very easily have won if he had listened to his team. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a good look. And you know what? Yamaha's got to hold their hands up here as well to a degree because Yamaha put, put their riders on intermediates and it was blatantly the wrong decision because we saw it with Scott Reddin. Reddin could have very easily won this race as well if, if they had put the dry tyres on the Pramac. It seemed like it was the team decision and to be fair, I think Keith Ewan's normally silly, but I think he was on the money in this case where he said about Reddin. It seems like the team may have got it wrong by putting the intermediates on him. When it, If they put the slicks on him, he could have very easily won because he had track position over Marquez when they when they both pit because they, they both pit on the same lap. Yeah, they both pit on the same lap. It, it seemed to me that they, oh, that they didn't think the track was dry enough. While I, I believe, like, the track was still wet enough for intermediates, but that was off the racing line. On the racing line, it was clearly dry tires was the optimal compound to be on. Yeah, and it's it's something that hurt Redding because he, he faded badly at the end. He was 
one lap, maybe even two corners shy of a podium finish for Red in back-to-back podiums for him on the Pramac camp. And um, he was beaten to the, just over the line by Andrea De Vizioso on the final lap of the race. And Dovi, and like, King, what's it going to take for Ducati to win a race? Like, they had Dovi at the front for the vast majority of the race. They had Petrucci up the front. <laughs> Petrucci bins it at turn three. And Dovi stays out one lap too long. It's like, if you're Ducati, what have you got to do to win one of these Grand Prix? If you're Ducati, you're, you're basically hoping your dry weather pacing improves because your bike seems to be capable of winning in the wet. I don't know about your riders, though. But that's the thing. Like, Ducati are trying so hard to eliminate that possibility by bringing Lorenzo in. And I'm thinking, he's a dead man walking if this keeps up. Yeah. <laughs> because look at the championship standings. King, do you know who the top Ducati in the championship is right now? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. It's Hector Barbara. Oh, God. Not even to the factory bikes. Hector Barbara has got two points more than Andrea Iannone at the halfway stage of the season. Yeah. That, like, that, like, that's, like, like, Barbara's got 65 points, Iannone's got 63, and Dovi has 59. And Dovi only has six more points than Eugene Laverty. Oh, it, it like... It, it like... Ducati have a great package but the riders are either we're gonna get a podium or not finish the race at all which is not great no it's 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 not a good it's not a good rate of attrition and um, for that to be a thing but uh Ducati really like this seemed to be the team that just seems to reek of incompetence like Petrucci was leading that race and was looking very comfortable up the front because the race was kind of boring at the start because it seemed that Petrucci and Dovi were in control and Petrucci bins it, like we said, at turn three, which was not a normal crashing spot for the Grand Prix. Um, like I said, I said before, turn eight seemed to be the killer. Um, yeah. Going down the hill, um, in that, that late breaking zone under the bridge at turn eight was wiped out half the Moto2 field. Um, but Petrucci binned it at turn three, and I don't know if King saw this on the broadcast, I think Keith Hewitt mentioned it, but... Uh, a punter out there had it had showed off a screenshot of a bet with Sky where where it had a double of yeah. Rui Powi and Danilo Petrucci to win their respective races on Thursday. Given that obviously if it was going to rain on Sunday, he must have seen the forecast and thought, "Hmm, let me try this out." And Powi was 150 to one to win the Grand Prix. He won his end of the deal. If Petrucci wins the race, the man wins 37 thousand pounds. Yeah, oh, and then Petrucci goes <laughs> Petrucci goes down, and then his his dreams are gone. His dreams are gone. I, honestly, I swear to God, I tweeted, "Pray for this man." As I saw as I saw the screenshot of the tweet, and then Petrucci bins it thirty seconds there, and I'm like, "I am the devil." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I felt so bad tweeting that afterwards. I was like, "Oh no, no, no." <laughs> Oh, jeez. I felt so bad for the guy. I mean, he had it. He had it. Yep. It was in the bag, seemingly. I was like, oh, oh, dear. I just, I just, I just despair for, for, the, for that guy. I mean, he deserved it. He, like, having the balls to put a tenner on that, I mean, Jesus Christ. Um, very, very unlucky. Poor guy. And, uh, <laughs> and, King, we've got to mention one more man here, really. Jorge Lorenzo. I, I think this might have been the worst Jorge Lorenzo we've ever seen this weekend. Ever. Yeah, this 
I mean, this legitimately could be the end of Jorge Lorenzo's title shot at this year. He says it's not over, but it, it's starting to really, you know, look slim for him, and he's second in the championship. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not a good look at all. And, you know, we all we go back to Assen 2013 and that enormous accident that Lorenzo had at Assen. It was a 160-mile-an-hour high side. He broke his collarbone. He's never been the same guy in the wet since. Even, even though he won a race, he won Aragon 2014 in the wet, and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe this will, maybe this will be the one that will make Lorenzo turn the corner. Nope, he's gotten worse since then. Like he crashed three times in Saturday. He had to start the race from 12th place after crashing in Q2 as well. Lorenzo binned it three times on Saturday. He was awful in the wet this time around. He finished. One minute and 17 seconds behind Marquez over the line in 15th place. The last man on the racing lap, he pitted way too late for slick tyres in the end. And just just a wretched pair of weekends. For, I mean, like, Lorenzo's title hopes have pretty much gone from favourite to maybe being up in smoke in the space of three races. Because he was taken out by Iannone in Catalonia. He limped over the line 10th in Assen when it rained, and now he's finished 15th in the wet, in the rain at the Saxon Ring. Lorenzo is now 48 points behind Marquez in the championship. <laughs> and Colin Edwards, Edwards said it on Checkered Flag. He said he thinks it's over. He thinks it's Marquez is going to win the title from here. He, thinks, he said, and I quote, two hands on the title because he doesn't think Marquez is going to lose 50 points from here. And this... I think I mean I've got a Dre brief on this coming. Um, it might already be out by the time you hear this. Um, but King, the the improvement of Mark Marquez as as I mean, and that's that's terrifying to even say that a man that had a season where he won thirteen times, he, like he's improved. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think it isn't that Marquez is improved. I think it's that everyone else has really fallen off the wagon when it, when it comes into terms of being out there where Marquez has just capitalized on everyone else's mistakes. Yeah, very much so. And Marquez has finished on the podium every single race this season bar one. And that was at Le Mans. And even then he was still able to get back up and finish in 13. So he was able to still salvage a couple of points. Um, but Marquez has been like, like I actually rate this season better than his 2014 season where he won t the first 10 races purely for the reason of given the talk in that camp about how the Honda was was really struggling I mean the Honda camp seemed miserable in preseason testing they said that the bike was a handful it was it was awful like Pedrosa was so down on it um, going into Qatar you okay to, to, for Marquez to be championship leader at the halfway point was a, a near miracle the fact he's championship leader by nearly 50 points, that is just... It's out of this world, King. It's unbelievable that he's in this yeah. position. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I, it's I, unbelievable. And you add that to the fact that Honda's still, you know, a single point back behind Yamaha in the, in the manufacturer's standings. Like, the, the Yamaha should be at least on par with the Honda, but it, it just isn't. We all thought this was going to be the season where Yamaha were going to completely run away with this. And it's every impression pointing that way. I mean, the way Lorenzo won in Qatar, you know, the way, that race where he like he's he's pretty much playing possum with the field, and he you know he was setting fastest laps with five to go from the end. 
it was unbelievable. And, you know, like Lorenzo was doing his very Lorenzo style of winning. And I thought, well, this is going to be a long season. <laughs> um, and no, Marquez is 50 points clear at a halfway stage. I mean, that is just utterly insane from Marquez. And, you know, I said it before, he is the most captivating thing this sport has had since Valentino Rossi. And, like, the sport is just better when the man's on top. It just is. Yes. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says to me. He, he is. The, the celebrations, the jovial spirit, the... The entertainment the man brings to the table is unlike anything. He's electric for MotoGP. And the last person I described like that was Valentino Rossi. And, you know, as Rossi's star begins to fade, we're seeing Marquez rise to the summit. And it's he is a joy to watch. When, when he's in full swing, he is unbelievable. And 53 career wins at 23 years old. He's got 61 pole positions. <laughs> 53 wins puts him one behind Mick Doohan on the all-time wins list. I just, <laughs> I just... I laugh at this because it's just unbelievable, King. Like, 53 wins. Mick Doohan had 54 in his entire career. I know Doohan's career was cut short through injuries and whatnot, but even so, yeah. it's just outrageous. <laughs> that that Mark Marquez has been so... Uh, so prodigious for so long where where he's just always if he he's always out front it's it's almost a given that marquez is in contention to win a race at basically almost any given weekend where any given weekend marquez could win just through sheer tenacity and, and on a bike we know is just so bad in the context of the field it's 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 we could be seeing a guy legitimately win the title on the second best bike. That's not happened in MotoGP since like Nicky Hayden did it, and that's just—it's just unbelievable that that's even something we have to consider. To consider as I've got the hiccups, and that's not good for a podcast. Good <laughs> lord! Um, but I will—I will soldier on regardless. Um, just to give you the quick running order of the entire field, Marquez wins by nine point eight seconds over Cal Crutchlow. That was over twenty seconds at one point. Marquez was slowing down that much at the end. Yeah, but Cal Crutchlow again rampaging through to second place, the fastest man on track at the towards the end of the Grand Prix. Brilliant stuff from Cal, matching his career high in second, beating Andrea De Vizioso in third. The hard graft continues for Dovi after him. And again, he's had a season full of wretched luck, so I'm glad that Dovi's back on the podium. Scott Redding in fourth. Again, a very strong result. A race he could have very well won if it wasn't for a, a questionable tyre call from Pramac on that one. Ian Oni in fifth for the Ducati team. Danny Pedrosa in sixth and was never really anywhere all weekend for Paul Pedrosa. Jack Miller, another strong result in the wet from him in seventh place, just missing out on sixth. Pedrosa beating him over the line in a photo. Um, Valentino Rossi in 8th and uh, oh boy he's not going to be happy with that uh, to say the least Hector Barbara in ninth for Avintia another great result for Hector Barbara for the Avintia team Alvaro Bautista in the top 10 for Aprilia ahead of Eugene Laverty in 11th place nice shout out to him over that very special pull and bear livery I was actually quite cool on the uh, Aspars this weekend uh, Maverick Vinales in top Suzuki nowhere to be found this weekend Maverick in 12th um, Bradley Smith in 13th again Tech 3 having another awful weekend uh, unless you look at the Moto2 class more on that in a minute um, Alicia Spagaro in 14th place and Jorge Lorenzo over the line in 15th ahead of Rabat, Baz and Yoni Hernandez the two non-finishers 
again, given the conditions, why was it there was only two people that did not see the flag? It was Polar Spagaro, who again, King, picked the same lap as Marquez, but binned it. Um, like, second lap out, binned it. Oh, poor guy. Polar Spagaro out, and Danilo Petrucci, who crashed from the front. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, King, we mentioned, like, it, it was a bad day for Tech 3. Maybe, maybe not so much. If you look at the Moto 2 standings, because... They newly confirmed at Tech 3, Johan Zarco and Jonas Volga. One and two. Yeah, one and two. Where I don't know. Not seeing the racing version kind of makes it a different mm. issue, but the result being one and two, I didn't, I genuinely didn't expect that to be the result. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks on this one for King. Yeah, I mean, Johan Zarco was confirmed at Tech 3, and I think Tech 3 at this point is like the team that nobody wants to ride for anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's just such a development house now, and your, your career's never really going to go anywhere at Tech 3, especially given that Maverick Vinales now rides for the factory team as of next year, which can't be, which can't be good. Um, but Johan Zarco was confirmed at Tech 3 on Thursday. Um, and he would go on to win uh, as, he, as um, a race that was badly, badly rain-affected. Um, like I said it during the race, I think, I think it was too dangerous. I think they shouldn't have, have, have done the race out there. I think it was too dangerous, to be honest with you. But hey, race direction thought it was okay, even though 12 riders crashed. Many of them crashed twice, um, including Alex Marquez. Insert joke here, as he signed an extension <laughs> on Thursday, and he celebrates it with a two-crash race. That's impressive. Um, quite frankly, but yeah, it was Johan Zarco that was the most comfortable out there in a race that was practically unrideable. He narrowly pipped Jonas Volga um, to the win by 0 0.0, sorry, sorry, 0 0.059, just six hundredths of a second between <laughs> him and Jonas Volga over the line. It was a very Sete Gibinau 2004 moment with uh, Volga trying to dive bomb at the final corner. He, he took so much time out as like going over the waterfall. Like Volga had, Volga had so much more confidence on the final lap of the race, that he tried to dive bomb into the final corner. He was able to just about stick it, but Zarko has gone with the wide sweeping line into the final corner, and he's come back in on the up and under, and he's gotten the drive over the hill to the flag, and he's just beaten Volga to it. And Volga genuinely thought he'd won the race as he crossed the line, but the Ooh. photo proved otherwise, as Zarko takes revenge for Xavier Simeon last year when Simeon did the exact same thing to him to win his first Moto2 race last year. So Zarko taking him in over and they were 20 seconds clear of third-place finisher Julian Simon on the speed-up as uh, Alex Rins, who was leading the Grand Prix, crashed with three laps to go. Um, so just, just it was just an awful race like, like in terms of in terms of attrition. Um, we said only 15 riders made it over the line. Um, so if you made the flag, you would get a point. Yeah, like I'm just looking at the results and the amount of people who did not finish: Rins, Lowe's, Ludi, uh, Morbidelli, Corsi. <laughs> just it's pawn. So many people did not finish this race. Yeah, it's 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 a who's who of just like quality names that could not make the fact like, like you like certain guys you wouldn't expect like thomas Luti is normally rock solid you know he doesn't normally make those kind of mistakes and he went down and, and again it was turn eight king turn eight was just wretched i think there was a puddle across the apex and so many people were just losing it at turn eight like i think i think morbidelli crashed at turn eight got back on his bike and crashed at turn eight again <laughs> He like, claimed him twice. Oh, God. 
it was, it was that bad. But uh, yeah, giving you a quick rundown real quick. Yep, Zarko wins ahead of Volga. Julian Simon back on the podium. He was very, very emotional. He, I think he's, it's been such a long time since the former 125cc champion had seen a, a Grand Prix podium. So delighted that Simon was back up there. Must have been a very emotional weekend given... Um, given some circumstances of his team and you know his fellow Spaniard Salom and whatnot, I'll get to that in a minute. But Matteo Pessini in fourth for the Italians team. I think that's a career high for Pessini in fourth. Lorenzo Baldassari, who dislocated his shoulder in warm up, had it popped back in and raced. <laughs> Baldassari is a madman. He is an iron man, but finished in fifth place for the forward team ahead of his teammate Luca Marini who we have to mention is Valentino Rossi's half-brother, because nobody ever mentions that. <laughs> um, Rain specialist Hafiz Sirin, not so good this time around in seventh, ahead of, I've got to give a big shout-out to Jesco Raffin in eighth place for the SAG team. Um, the emotions in that camp were sky-high. Um, it was wonderful to see the SAG team that high up the field, and obviously we all know what happened with Louis Salam earlier this year, so just a wonderful moment to see that camp smiling again after Salam's passing earlier in the year. So delighted that SAG had a brilliant result with Raffin and a career-high eighth place for him. Ahead of Isaac Vinales, I know he must have got a nosebleed from a tech freebie in that high in Moto2. In ninth, ahead of Dominique Agata, the 2014 race winner. Ahead of Takanakagami, who got back on his bike after he crashed from the lead at turn two of all places. Mm. Very, very weird accident there. And that, like, Taco just high-sided it, lost the front, and he goes over the top of the bike and he slides into the turn three gravel. Um, so he crashed from the lead. He could have gotten five to two odds on a Taco win. He was looking very, very good out there. But he, he, did, he did get back on the bike and finished in 11th place. Remy Gardner in 12th. I think, I think that's his first points in Moto2, so congratulations to him. Robin Mulhauser in 13th. Um, Edgar Pons in 14th, his first uh, Moto two points for the uh, the Yellow Pages team. Yes, they have more than one bike. And Sandro Cortese, who was two laps down, but got back on the bike and finished in fifteenth. Like we said before, the the DNFs. And here's the full list: Rins, who again who crashed with three to go from the lead. Morbidelli, who again crashed from the lead and crashed twice. Sam Lowe's got back on the bike and crashed twice. Alex Marquez, same deal, crashed twice. Marquez from P six. Um, Xavier Simeon had, had binned it twice. In, you, know, you may have seen it, like, I don't know if you saw it, King, but like, the back of Simeon's bike was completely gone. Oh <laughs> but my let, God. Let, yeah, but they let him continue. They let him continue, but like, the entire rear of the bike was gone, but they let him keep going. Mental. <laughs> um, no black and orange in MotoGP, clearly. Um, Xavier Simeon was allowed to continue, but he crashed twice and he was out. Thomas Luti binned it. Um, Axel Pons, Rafa Park Willerot, uh, Simone Corsi, Xavi Vierge, Marcel Schrotter, who crashed from fourth for, at a home Grand Prix for Germany, and Miguel Oliveira binned it on lap two. Moving on to Moto3 real quick, and uh, King, Powie wasn't a fluke. The, the man is real. <laughs> he's, he's actually gifted. Like, he's actually just really, really friggin' good in the rain I, I can't believe it <laughs> um, like, like he's, he's just so good in the wet he's unbelievable like we all saw Argentina and we were like how is this man doing this who is this kid <laughs> and it rained again and Powie came to the front and the kid is just so like the confidence of this man in the wet is unlike anything I've ever seen in bike racing it's unreal he's like Anthony West only Malaysian and 
much younger. <laughs> like, literally half the age. <laughs> um, yeah, Parry won by 11.1 seconds. You could have got wow. a lot. Wow! Yeah, yeah, 11 point. It could have been 14 plus, but he actually put it in the turn one gravel, but was able to recover. And, like, to put it into perspective, King, right? He was 14 seconds clear. He lost four seconds by running it into the turn one gravel. He gained two of them back by the end of the lap. Like, to, to pull out a two-second gap in a lap in Moto3 is insane. It's it's utterly ridiculous, given the average speed of the entire race was only 80 miles an hour. So for that, on that track, to put up a two-second lead per lap is unreal. Absolutely unreal. So, Powie, we salute you. You could have gotten 150 to 1 odds on him winning the race. Um, going into this on Thursday. So if anyone's put money on him thinking it was going to rain, congratulations, well played you. Um, so Parry takes his second career victory ahead of Andrea Locatelli with a career-high finish in second place. Leopard's first podium of the season. Man, has that team gone up the shitter. Uh, oh, how do you go from the champion to having like a dream team of like youngins like Locatelli, Quattararo, and Joanne Mir, and even like this is your first podium nine rounds into the season, especially given that they are Kenton Oliveira in Moto Two as well. I mean, it's been it's been wretched for Leopard this season, uh, to say the least. But hey, a, 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 a little a little upsurgence there for Locatelli, which says more than for Quattararo, given that he was lapped. Oh dear. Um, Enea Bastianini, the pole sitter in third place for Grassini. Jakob Kornfile, Rep Weather Specialist in fourth for the uh, Drive M17. And uh, Fabio Giantonino in the top five again. This rookie is so impressive. Um, still only 17 years old again. Just such a talented kid. Fifth place again for the Grassini team. Um, stealing some headlines off, off Enea, which says a lot, even though Enea has now been confirmed he's going to KTM next year. We're not sure whether it's going to be the Red Bull KTM team, though, or whether it's going to be the Moto2 team, because we, there's rumours that KTM might be going to Moto2 with a with the chassis of their own next year. I mean, King, excited that NA is going to be the face of your franchise going forward? Not Bradley yeah. Smith? <laughs> uh, I could live with it. You could do worse, right? <laughs> yeah, you could do you could do much, much worse. Yeah, so NA and Bastini go, going to KTM next year. It's just going to be a matter of whether it's going to be two or three, so keep half an eye on that. The Wee McPhee is back, everybody. John McPhee in sixth place for the Peugeot team. Their best finish since, since becoming the Peugeot <coughs> Mahindra <coughs> team uh, since they turned to Moto3. And God, Keith Ewan could, couldn't help himself, King. You know, if you, like, if you listen to the commentary of the race, it's like like Keith Ewan's pants are around his ankles while commentating over John McPhee. It's 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 the worst. It's the absolute worst. Like you, you have no idea. Ugh, it makes me very sad. Um, props to Jorge Navarro, his first race back after the double leg break he suffered a month ago, finishing in seventh place ahead of championship leader Brad Binder in eighth. Great ride from Jorge Navarro, real brave. Ahead of Jules Danilo, Francesco Bagnaia, the Aston winner in tenth. Ahead of Tatsuki Suzuki, Bo Ben Schneider, Gabriel Rodrigo, Livio Loy, and Aaron Canet, finishing the last of the points in 15th place. So I can finally catch some breath and uh, not talk about um, GP quite so much. Let's talk about IndyCar King. And um, <laughs> wow, um, it was it was an entertaining race, but for kind of all the wrong reasons, really. Yeah, and we use the word entertaining loosely. Mm, it was uh, slightly above average, and only because of just how bad certain moments were, really. 
really. I think that's the best way of describing it, right, King? Yeah, that's the best way to describe it, whether, you know, it's the road breaking up or, you know, certain drivers' wives complaining about pit lane violations. and. Uh. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, yeah, Toronto, it was a race that I think seemed to go down quite well last year. Joseph Newgarden took his, um, took his, his second career win, his first on a street circuit. Um, you know, head of Luca Felipe, so you know, Fish, um, CFH, um, you know, Cartman, uh, Fisher Hartman racing had a real good day. Um, a one two finish, which was just amazing for them. And you know, it went down quite well. There was a lot of really cool passes as well. Um, but yeah, we came back and uh, King, that pit lane wasn't there last time round. What happened? <laughs> no, they they moved the pit lane from the main straight to the the outside of the last corner and the corner before that one because uh, there's a hotel under construction and that space is currently occupied so they cannot use where the normal straight would be. So they decided, yeah, what, we have to move the, the straight somewhere else and they chose the outside of that corner. Well, the outside of the circuit at that corner. It's hard not to feel a little bit bad for IndyCar on this one. They, there really was no other viable alternative here. It, it literally had to be there. And it's not their fault, but it doesn't mean it still wasn't shit, really, was it? Let's be real here, King. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was terrible. Like, uh, like, just what it... The, the narrowness of the last couple of corners was just... Oh, uh, it was just... Face palm worthy. That's the only way I can put it. It was face palm worthy. Yeah, it's uh, it, it wasn't great, and uh, you know, seeing guys literally take the wide line through the final corner, so to speak, and then dive into the pitch, it just wasn't a good look. And again, IndyCar had to had to make do with this one. There was again, there was literally no alternative. But yeah, it kind of stunk the bed. And uh, when we got to the race itself, and the first. 60% of it was exactly how you thought it was going to go. I mean, don't ever put Scott Dixon at the front of, a, of, a, of an Indy car race because you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> he will pull away. He will save fuel like a genius because that's what Scott Dixon does better than anyone in the world. And, you know, Dixon was looking dominant. Pagano was trying to give chase in second and couldn't do it. I mean, we had a couple of early moments. Like, we had the, the Ray Hall, Kimball, Hunter Ray collision where... King, King, like King, what was Hunter Ray thinking on that pass on Kimball there? I mean, like that was such a bonehead move. I've I've no clue. Maybe he thought his teammate would give him more room. Well, no. Why am I thinking Charlie Kimball is teammate? No. no <laughs> but, I thought that myself yesterday. I was like, hey, are they teammates? No, 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 no. He's fellow well, American. Yeah. Hunter Ray thought he would get more room. Was aggressive and failed. Yeah, he, he, he's driven into the side of Kimball's side pod. He's, and then, through no fault of his own, Kim, Kimball's front end has slashed the front of Rahal's tyre, and Rahal ended up losing the better part of a lap, having to deal with a puncher, and have to go slow the entire way back to the pits as the caution came out. So Rahal had a tyre had a slash, so he, his race was effectively ruined. Um, just, you know, well, yeah, we were, sorry, fought towards later in the next stages, but... It was it was Dixon and Pagano that was effectively leading the way. Dixon had a seven-second lead at one point. Pagano was just easing off. He came back into it later on as Dixon was struggling to deal with traffic. But And, and then, King, lap 56, all hell breaks loose if Joseph Newgarden hits a part of the fading curb 
at turn five, and he's in the wall, and the caution flag comes out. Yeah, the caution flag comes out. Some people guess. Some people predicted it spot on and pitted probably like a lap or a lap or so before the caution came out. So mm -hmm. they got to stay out and were were was ahead of everyone who pitted. Uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully Joseph was okay and seemingly got his hands off the wheel before he made contact with the concrete wall. Yeah, that wouldn't have been fun. Yeah, as, you, as you may not know, he's still recovering from that broken wrist he suffered in Texas. Um, the accident where he broke his clavicle and his wrist at the same time. And if you've ever seen an IndyCar crash, if they hit the wall, the suspension, the steering rack is, the wheel's going to be all over the place. So luckily, New Garden wasn't touching, or seemingly wasn't touching the wheel um, as, he, as he hit the wall, thankfully. Uh, it's a shame because New Garden was running in the top eight before that accident happened. But as King quite rightly said, some in the field decided to take their final pit stops right there and then um, as the caution as the caution came out. And uh, unfortunately, it had screwed over Scott Dixon, who at that point in time had led, I think it was 56 out of the 59 laps of the Grand Prix. Um, Dixon was low on fuel. He had to pit and effectively was sent to the back of the field when the pit lane opened because he didn't have any choice in the matter and he was not happy about this and uh, thanks to Indy 44 Matt, uh, Matt Archuluta on Twitter for the, for these quotes here so credit to him but his team radio at the time was and I quote there goes the fucking race we are fucked motherfucker <laughs> that, like, I can't even imagine Dixon saying that like if he's, he's, he's normally so diplomatic and so understandably modest about IndyCar in general, but uh, yeah, wasn't happy. He says, now they're just running laps to make sure everybody else can make it. Like, Dixon was mad salty, and to be fair, King, you can't really blame him on this one. Yeah, I mean, Dixon really got screwed by the rules, and it it seems like a common thing in IndyCar where the, I don't know, the, the rules the rules are very unfavorable to those who break them, and it it's very unfair to to basically have a lead taken away because of a caution com coming out. I think it's horseshit. I, I I can't like it's the one thing I really really can't stand about IndyCar and that yeah I get it. I know I know that IndyCar kind of thrives on mixing things up a little bit and I'm sure that's good to an extent. But when you're a guy like Dixon that's led 56 out of 59 laps of a Grand Prix, and, I mean. There's no, I mean, I don't like using the term deserves in most because I think it's a very fickle term, but if anyone deserved that win, it was Dixon. The guy the guy drove an impeccable race pretty much from start to finish, and he gets screwed by something that, was, that had nothing to do with him. And, you know, being backed into a corner that benefits others that really didn't deserve it either. And like, look, look at for example, look at Helio Castroneves, who unfortunately, you know, had a you know had a tire blowout because Penske screwed up the strategy. They they ran Helio too long on those tires. He suffered a puncture. He was at the back of the field, and because of the caution, got himself back into play and actually finished in second. I mean, I mean, again, I don't like playing the deserved card here, King, but it just screams horseshit to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, like Dixon was on it. Oh, Dixon was on it for nearly the entirety of the race and it, it just really rubs you the wrong way when you realize that Dixon didn't win the you know willpower was a deserving winner but when you realize that you know all Dixon's efforts were basically for naught, it, it 
it, it really leaves a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. Especially in the case of Scott Dixon, and especially in the case of his wife. Now, we'll get... I, I have to talk about this, because this is just, from a sporting standpoint, hilarious. Because this is the parallel between that <laughs> and something else is just really funny. Now, I, I have no problem admitting this live on the air. I love Emma Davis Dixon. Like, I have a... F- <laughs> I have a huge crush on Dixon's wife. Like, oh my god, she's so pretty. And she seems like a really, really lovely girl as well. <laughs> and, and, like, Tajano crossed the pit exit line early on in the race on his first stop. He, without question, goes over the pit exit line. The same pit exit line that may or may not have won him that Grand Prix at Long Beach earlier in the season. And when Emma Davis Dixon saw that action, and Tajano wasn't even warned for it, um, she went mad, King. Yes, Davies Dixon was on a rampage, and she, she was gonna destroy Pagano, everyone in race control, and anyone who stood in Scott Dixon's way. Yeah, it's 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 not a good look, and I think she's deleted the more salty tweets, like the really really salty ones earlier on in the show, like earlier on in the race itself. Um, she's like she's indirectly thrown the shade. Um, it's like it's like she's retweeting people from Jennifer Fry saying, even if it'd been a warning, I don't get the point of warnings. Um, saying IndyCar officials committee out to lunch again, face palm. Um, saying um, IndyCar says no warning issued to the twenty-two for illegal pit exit, despite what was said on TV. And you just hit, you just have Emma Dixon with the groan emoji, like 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 the lines emoji. Um. Yeah, it's and she retweeted Tony Dezino saying Dixon left track without even talking. Hawks were furious at Pagano, and we'll get to that one in a minute. But you know, she turns it round real quick where she goes, "Oh, you know, congratulations to the Hinchtown guys," and you know, obviously because Hinch got a home podium, so great for him. And she turns it around really quick, but I I know for a fact she had a tweet in there that said to the effect of, "Oh my God, the IndyCar series is rigged. How can you not punish Pagano for that?" <sighs> Like, getting, she went full Aisha Curry. And if there's one thing that Game 6 of the NBA Finals should tell us, it's that you should never go full Aisha Curry. <laughs> yes, because the, the level of salt was so high that, like, nothing you tweet is going to make the situation better. Nothing. None of it. It's, it's like... I know that the famous phrase of hell hath no, no fury like a, like a wife scorned, but, like, it's... <laughs> Like I get that you want to defend your man, and you know, it's you've got every, you've got every right to to complain that a man broke a rule and wasn't punished. I get that, but let's be real here. At Long Beach, the stewards set a precedent. They didn't punish Pagano for going over the pit exit line, the same pit exit line that Scott Dixon did in that same race at Long Beach. But shh, don't talk about that. It's, and the same thing happened again in this race where Pagano was was give, wasn't even given the warning for it. But Dixon did it himself in his second stop coming out of the pit lane. So, I kind of beg the question. You can't punish Pagano for this anymore, can you? You've set, you've, you've set the tone now. Oh, I mean, yes and no, because things are, like, the, the rules are, you know, 
written down on paper, but they're interpreted differently based on where they're racing at, whether it be a street circuit, a road course, or an oval, because you can't enforce all the rules the same at, at these drastically different types of tracks. Like in F1, you can rightly complain that there isn't consistency in F1 because most of the circuits are fairly similar, but Pretty in much. IndyCar, in IndyCar, the, the circuits change so drastically is that the pit exit rule has to be enforced differently at different venues. Yeah, that's that, that that's very fair. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't look at it in that way, to be fair. So that's a very good point that, yes, you know, the IndyCar calendar is so different that, you know, it's a matter of context. But, when, I mean, Long Beach is also a street circuit, and Pagano was only given a warning for crossing said line. So, again, can you really punish Pagano for this one? I don't think you can. Uh... No, like, it, here it's also different because in Long Beach, the pit exit is at the end of a long straight into the first corner. Mm. Here in Toronto, it's at the it's at the end of the last straight into the, into the, you know, I mean, at the end of, at the end of the last corner into the front straight. It's right. like in two completely different locations. <laughs> yeah, again, all fair. Uh, yeah, again, I have a good point. And, I mean, for me personally, I think it's a matter of context. I think that, you know, as it stands, I feel that, you know, you have to, you know, use use caution with this one, pardon the pun. But um, I feel like it, it's 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 hard to punish Pagano for something like that because I because I think it's half the half the field did it, like like half the field did it coming out of the pits. And if you punish one, you've got to punish them all. And there's no way IndyCar's going to punish them all. So, yeah. so by that logic alone, you just can't do it, really. And again, for all the talk of Emma Davis Dixon, she got very quiet when her hubby did the same thing. <laughs> just, just, just saying, just saying. But I mean, King, going back to the caution rule real quick. I mean, would you? Do you like the the caution system like this now, or would you rather it be Formula One where the pit lane is always open? Just out of curiosity. Um, uh, I think the the pit lane being closed, it, it's. It's more of a thing that's you know carried over from the ovals, mm. where, where I, where I'd like to see it if if they'd have two separate rules for, for the ovals and the other two types of courses they go to, mm. where, the pit lane is closed, uh, when it when a yellow comes out on the oval because there's, you close it on the oval because there's so many opportunities to just dive down pit lane. You pass the pit entry like once every 30 seconds at least while it's much longer on the road courses. So, sure. you know, you'd want it, you'd, you know, want to have it open all the time. So you have that opportunity. Yeah. Again, can't argue with that. Very, very, very true. Again, like the oval. Again, IndyCar being so different means it's it's hard not to look at things from a different lens or two because it's all over the place. But um, yeah, again, can't argue with that logic either. Damn you, King. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna be. I mean, willpower. Like willpower ultimately was the big winner in all this. He was able to come through from fourth to take the win in the end, and he dived in just as the caution came out. Um, Penske timed it absolutely perfectly with power coming in just before the pit lane closed and would go on to win the race pretty comfortably from uh, Helio Castroneves in second place because Kanan was going to finish in, in the lead but he, again he had, he had to do a splash and dash at the end and a, a home podium for James Hinchcliffe and 
King, I mean, it's 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 lovely that um, Hinch finally get a home podium, and and the comeback year really is continuing well for him. Yeah, the comeback year is on Hinch. Uh, Hinch has you know been performing well. There, there's no doubt about it. But I don't know. It, it seems like what he's. I think seventh in the championship, eight. one point. Yeah, one behind Rossi and seven. Yeah, one behind Alexander Rossi. So he he has that going for him. I, th- like, I wouldn't say that this has been. I, I would say this has been a good year for Hinch, but I wouldn't say it's a great year unless he finishes top five in the championship. <sighs> Double, you're no fun, King. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I can't really argue with that. I mean, Hinchcliffe has, you know, he's had good performances in teams that are stronger than this, like Andretti, where, like, I think Hinch has not really had that real top-tier season like Graham Rahal and Joseph Newgarden did last year, where you thought, oh, this guy could maybe win the championship one day. And, you know, he's ahead of some big hitters like Hunter Ray, like Rahal, like Montoya and Bourdais, for example. So it's not like he's having a bad year, but he's having a very good one. But, like... Tony Kanan is sixth overall right now, and Kanan is a yeah. guy that, that keep, maybe we keep talking about as a guy that could lose his seat. But really, King, he's having a very good season, Tony Kanan, right now. Yeah, Kanan's basically done everything but win. Where I think he's yeah. very strong points finishes. I think he's he finished second in Road America, where he just fi- keeps finishing strong, but you know, not get a win. Yeah, it's 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 you're absolutely right. The, the consistency has been impeccable from Kanan, and he's still in there, still in the mix, within a hundred points of, of Pagano's championship lead. He's in he's in contention where the sports are, but um, absolutely again, I can't can't disagree with you there. Kanan has had a very very good season, very quietly, and this is a guy that could lose his seat for next season. I mean, Kanan is adamant he's going to stick around for next year. I'm not so sure because, I mean, if you're Chip Ganassi, surely you've got to have New God's number by now, right? Yeah, Newgar and the guy who happens to be, you know, one spot above Kanan in the championship. It's not a good where, look, is it? <laughs> yeah, where, where you see where, you know, they brought in Chilton this year. Chilton's been performing fantastic for someone their first year in the series. Uh, it, it's really starting the show that it, maybe it's time for youth in the top teams. Yeah, maybe it is, because we all know IndyCar is an old man's game. All the top-tier drivers are all very, very experienced, all in their you know mid to high 30s for the most part. New Garden, I believe, is like one of you know, like the only guy in the top six that's under the age of 30. So that, that should tell you all you need to know about the situation. I mean, you know, you've got guys like Pagano, I think it's 33, and Power, I think it's 34, and Helio, I think is 72, and, you know... <laughs> I'm joking. I love Helio. Um, love you, Helio. Love, love you, really. Honest. But um, also, one more thing we've got to talk about, King. I mean, the, 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 the track was fading away. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah, the track was breaking apart. I mean, that that seems to be a thing on these street courses. I know, it, like, it, was, it, it used to be terrible in Detroit, where... Mm. I remember one year in Detroit, like, an entire turn came up and they had to repave it during the race. Yep, and it, it took out Hinchcliffe and he was rightfully, absolutely livid with how that turned out. Like, like how, does, how does an entire chunk of racetrack just fall away like that? I mean, yeah, it's not a good look. But, um, Kim, we've got to mention one more thing here, man, about Toronto real quick. I mean, apparently, we don't know this for sure, but apparently there was a collision on the final lap between championship leader Simon Pagano 
and uh, the guy we like to call stateless, uh, Polynesia's Jack Hawksworth. Um, Hawksworth was apparently absolutely furious at Pagano after the race, but King, we didn't see it. So like, this is this is a classic case of if a tree falls in the forest and it and it doesn't make a sound, like did it actually happen? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's. Oh, it's interesting because, like, you—if you have no footage of an accident, there's no way you could make any judgment about who's at fault here. That it's—it's exactly. it's basically he said, she said at that point, and you really—you don't want to just ignore it, but you have to because there's there's no way you could come to there's no way you could come to a conclusion that you could definitely back up with cold hard evidence. Exactly, it's 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 not a good look, and you know it's it's a really bad look for the series. I mean, how can a series hold its hands up and say, "Sorry, we didn't see it," when you've got cameras everywhere, a bunch of onboards? Apparently, Pagano had an onboard camera for this race. I, I don't know if that's if that's true or not, but apparently, Pagano had an onboard camera. So again, did the, the King did they forget to put the VCR in? Is that it? <laughs> I mean, it's just. In any uh, case, it's not a good look for the series, is it? Yeah, it's it's not a good look for the series. Where it's it's a situation where pretty much onboard cameras are for mainly broadcasting purposes, and they don't put onboard cameras in every single car. And two cars happen to collide, and none of them have onboard cameras. Yeah, honestly, it's like the odds of Hawksworth having an onboard camera are about the same as King getting late with Michaela Schifrin. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Hawksworth uh, is never going to get that kind of luxury. Pagano, I think, has had the onboard a couple of times. Obviously, they're all, you know, you may have seen it at the start of an Indy Guys, they're all sponsored by such and such a, a company or whatever. But no, apparently there was a phantom crash between Pagano and Hawksworth, and we never saw it. All we saw was Hawksworth's car in the wall on the final lap, and we, we still don't quite know what happened there. So, yeah, a tree fell. Apparently, it happened. I don't, I don't know for sure, because him and Monty ended up in the wall on the final lap, and. That's kind of that, really. So, run out of the result real quick. Will Power takes the win um, just ahead of Helio Castroneves in second, so another Penske 1-2. Yay! James yeah. Hinchcliffe third, finally getting a home podium in Toronto. Delighted for him. Tony Kanaan, another great result for Kanaan in fourth place. The guy's relentless. And uh, in fifth place, not now Sato, of course. Great drive for him. I think, I think, that, I think that might be the best result of the year so far, King. I'm not sure for sure on that one, but... Can you remember another Foyt that's been in the top five this year? No, no. I don't think so. So, yeah, great jive from Sato there for the Foyt team. Ahead of Michaela Lotion, another good weekend for Schmidt-Peterson, third and sixth in, in total there. Lotion was strong all weekend long. Good week, good job from him. Ahead of Sebastian Bordet in seventh. Scott Dixon climbed back up from 13th to 8th after his unfortunate screwing by the caution. Just ahead of championship leader Simon Pagano um, in ninth. And... Uh, the surname himself, Marco Andretti, rounds off the top ten. No, don't ask me how that happened either. Uh, <laughs> but uh, King, to, 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 to talk about the championship real quick as well. I mean, Simon Pagano had a seventy-six point lead going into this going into this round, and Powers now won three of the last four. His last results have been have been first, first, second, and first. Like. Power all of a sudden, despite missing a round, is out Pagano in Pagano, and by the looks of it. We've got a championship again here. <laughs> yeah, he's only down 57 points, if I'm... I mean, no, he's only down 47 points, if I'm correct, so he's within a race win. 
Yeah, he's within a race win now. The gap is now 47 points between Pagano and Power with five rounds to go. Well, technically four and a half, I suppose. Depends how you want to look at it. But there's five races left in this championship, and Power is on that Scott Dixon-esque charge from last year where you don't quite see it, but it's coming. He's coming all of a sudden, and Power's in a real run of form. We all know the man is relentlessly fast in an IndyCar. And uh, he's Pagano's just having the odd dodgy weekend here and there, and he's opening the door just a little bit for these guys. And Power is right there on 385 to Pagano's 432. So we've got a championship here. I mean, Pagano has been the pole king this year with five. But even so, it's 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 looking a little bit uh, interesting where the championship yeah. is going. This, right, this, this is clearly going to go down to the wire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it very much looks that way. And um, it's going to be very, very interesting indeed to... Um, see where this championship is going. I mean, again, with a double point finale at Sonoma, so 100 points available on that final round um, going go, going forward. Um, it's going to be very intriguing. I mean, it could very well much be like last year where if you're in 100 points, you've got a chance at the title. And last year, there were six guys that could have won it on the last day, including Helio and Newgarden were right in the mix right until the end. Um, so that is going to be very intriguing to watch going forward i mean a little bit of everything going up and they've got mid ohio coming up um in a couple we, in a couple of weeks we also have the impending roulette at dale coin <laughs> tell us more king where the second dale coin car might have two or three drivers in the last five races including another rookie making his debut where we have uh rc emerson might make his debut at middle no, R.C. R.C. Emerson is making his debut at Mid Ohio, yeah. and he might be also doing Watkins Glen and Sonoma. Dale Coyne said it was possible. He quote, "It's possible. Stay tuned." <laughs> Two words, everybody. Dale Coyne. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> yep. Coyne uh, also said that Gabby Gabby Chavez might get the second car when they go back to Texas and that Pippa man might be doing the other oval Pocono that's left. Yep. Oh dear. So I okay, just like Dale coin Like it's a roulette wheel that's going on in their team right now. And it's not pretty. And I just don't know what the hell Dale coin is doing these days with their drivers. It's just, just it's a mess. It, it, it says a lot about the, the weirdness of a team situation where the only constant in your team is Connor friggin' Daly, uh, the guy that we, the guy that was literally the driver for hire of 2015. Uh, so it's kind of weird how that's all kind of shaken out, really. But um, we got one more big news story to talk about. It came through this morning before we wrap up the show this time around. And um, King, it seems the Italian Grand Prix could be on the move. Yeah, where it seems that, uh, well, it seems the Bernie Eccleston has agreed to terms to host a Formula One race at Imola, but it's it's basically on the fence on whether Monza will be on the calendar or not next year. Oh boy, is this is this like Johan Zarco situation with Suzuki, where Suzuki was telling, like, hey, 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 hold this contract for a bit. We're not quite sure what's happening. Hold this. We'll get back to you in a week or two and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, it's. I it, if Monza completes their deal, it it'll basically. 
basically the mo the the Imola contract is irrelevant to the Monza deal where I don't see them both being at the calendar at the same time because the schedule is already packed at, as it is. Like, this is literally breaking point for the F1 calendar. I mean, we're already at 21 races. Teams have already said they might have to start hiring two crews if they go any more than 20 races. No, McLaren said this at the end of the 2012 season. I believe the year they had 20 Grand Prix that season, and they thought, okay, this really is the limit, you guys. We can't really do much more than 20 without really upping our you know team costs. We're at 21 now. They're like, they can't both coexist here, Kings. I mean, 22 races is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, 22 races is ridiculous. Imola is in no state to host a Formula One race Agreed. at the moment. Like, 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 and don't get me wrong, this is coming from me like the biggest Imola fan in the world. I mean, I watched it at World Superbikes earlier this year. They are not F1 Grand Prix ready, and it's not even close. Yeah, Imola might as well be regarded as a Roman ruin at this point. <laughs> it's, it's now a national heritage site. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the the Monza deal, it, it basically took a bit of, you know, coming together with basically the governments of the region of Lombardy, the city governments of Milan and Monza, respectively, and the Monza Royal Park Authority. And they basically came together and they have a package to, to give to the FOM where the, the regional government's going to give... 5.5 million dollars or 5 million euros per year to close this deal yes in other words Monza is trying really hard to keep itself on the calendar here and Imola may all, like it seems like they're giving Imola this deal as like a hold on to this maybe we'll go here next year instead if Monza falls through I think, I think is, is Bernie just protecting his own back here because I mean yeah it it seems like it's just a plan B in case Monza falls through, so there'll be a race in Italy no matter what. And hey, if I mean, if even if Imola is decrepit at this point as a backup, I guess it's not the end of the world if you just have one Grand Prix there as a one-off. Hopefully, maybe. But um, I mean, a lot of people have denounced this deal, saying, "Oh, you know, Imola's not what it used to be as a track." And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, King, like, Imola's not really changed very much in the last few years. I mean, okay. The last chicane is now optional instead, but that's seemingly about it, really. Yeah, I think when they mean what it used to be, like the infrastructure is out of date, it's Maybe crumbling. That, that's to me what's the bigger issue here. It's 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 more of a question of facilities than the track itself. It's weird. I mean, we talked about this earlier in the year with Le Mans being that way, and like Le Mans for MotoGP. I know one of my favorite bike journalists is a man called David Emmett, and he has talked to, about it a lot. And he put a post on his blog saying he would he goes to every Grand Prix nearly, and he says he would never go to Le Mans again because the facilities are that bad and they're that run down at Le Mans that um, he refused to go. You've got to pay for the Wi-Fi. There's not enough toilets. Some of the buildings have cracks in it. It's 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 not a good look. Imola kind of seemed to be falling into that camp. And again, I've heard before, I think they need, they need a spruce up. But for people denouncing this, I think for racing reasons, I think are a little bit crazy. Yeah, where uh, where the the raceability of a venue, especially one the caliber of Monza, should not be one to put into question. Where the where it, it's it's not a terrible venue by any means in terms of a racing circuit. Mm -hmm. 
Agreed. I think I think as a racing circuit, I think it's great. I think it's the kind of track that would capture people's imagination, especially if you're a newer fan. Because the track is really fast. It's really fast. People love Silverstone, the old Silverstone, for that very reason, because of just how ridiculous the average lap speed is around there. Imola would be very fast. It's still a place where I think it could potentially pass like Tosa, like Turn 1, which would now be a very long straight. I mean, why not? Of course you'd have passing attempts into Turn 1 going down there. I think that could easily work. I don't see any reason why Imola can't work as a racetrack any more or less than half the current F1 calendar. We love to bounce so much. Yes. Uh, like, like, I can't imagine what it's like being Herman Tilk in his office. Given the amount of hate mail he has to open every day, like, you did Valencia, you're a terrible human being, or something along those lines, because, yeah, I, I, just, I just don't think it's particularly pretty. <laughs> yeah, it is not pretty in the slightest, where where basically every circuit is put under a, like, a, a fine-tooth comb for, for, I mean, for some legitimate reason, some, like, just pure, like, semantics, it doesn't matter. Agreed, and I said it before, it's the cars more than the tracks, more than anything else right now. I mean, as Johnson quite rightly said on Twitter earlier today, we've seen great other racing series make great use of circuits we denounce as terrible. I mean, GP2 did it with Sochi, where we had brilliant wheel-to-wheel, flag-to-flag battles throughout the field at Sochi, a track that we all thought was terrible. Same deal with V8 supercars, at Abu Dhabi, where you know we've seen some great racing there in Abu Dhabi, a lot again wheel to wheel racing round round Abu Dhabi's international circuit, you know, not the full Grand Prix circuit, but the international layout, and it, it can work. So for me, we should, again we should be looking you know, like F one does this a lot where I think it, it likes to point fingers at the wrong parts of what to blame. Um, for me, I feel like it's the cars more than the tracks itself. I really do. I feel that. Yeah you know certain series can make it better because their their series are more conducive to good racing as opposed to f1 where it's a lot about you know the lack of downforce and you can't uh you know wait really race wheel to wheel and hey maybe 2017 will fix that down the road with you know chunkier tires and you know the nicky louder narrative as i like to call it <laughs> coming coming for f1 very very soon have to wait and see how that goes but for now i don't see why that's a problem that's just about it for this podcast but you've been waiting for the better part of an hour and a quarter so let's i'll tell you the big announcement as you may have guessed by now next week will be our 50th episode we have done 49 episodes of motorsport 101 now which is crazy and i often believe in you know marking special occasions i'm that kind of guy um so for episode 50 we will be going live we will be doing a live show live on youtube for you the listening public uh we will be doing a podcast obviously based on the hungarian grand prix um will be the will be the predominant talking point given that will be literally most likely on that weekend if not the very same day um the, the hungarian people would only be a few hours old as we talk about it live and raw um you know from from youtube live so we are going live for episode 50 we are not quite saying a date yet i'm pretty sure it will be sunday 
the 23rd of July. It's going to be 24th earlier. It'll be 24th on Sunday. My bad. 24th. That's not a good sign, is it? I'm getting the date wrong already in, in the announcement. It's not good. But yeah, the 27th. So, no, tw- I did it twice again. Oh, my God. I did it twice. <laughs> the 24th of July. Yes. July 24th. If that changes, keep an eye on our social media feeds, especially me at Harrison101HD or at King at Ryan Eric King. Um, we'll we'll keep you posted, but I'm tentatively going to say Sunday. It's a soft announcement. July 24th should be the day we go live for episode 50 of Motorsport 101. And, um, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be very interesting. Um, no edits, no no room for mess-ups. It's going to be fun. And, obviously, you guys will obviously play a huge role in that. So, hopefully, we'll get a nice packed audience in for our first ever live podcast taping. So, a way of saying thank you for 50 episodes. We'll give one back to you guys. The fans will probably do an extended Q&A as well in there. In, in there as well. So you'll get, you get your questions into us. And hopefully we'll have a really fun time with that. So that will just about do it for this episode of Motorsport 101. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed the draft. If you enjoyed it, please let us know. We're, we, we, we are very, very keen maybe to do it once every six weeks or so. If we can, if we, if we can have enough subjects and enough people, we'll certainly do it. Um, yeah, we, we won't we won't overbook like the WWE and do like start doing a pay per view every month. Oh God, no, we, we can't be doing that. But if, if but if if we can, if we can find a way to keep doing it every few weeks. We most certainly can. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Keep sending us your feedback and votes. If you, if you, by the time this goes out, you'll probably still be able to vote. The ballots will, will most likely be out by the time you're listening to this. So if you haven't already, go out and vote. Have your say. You count for 20% of the total score of the ballot. So please vote if you haven't already. But until next time, I'll see you around for episode 50. And we go live on episode 50. So can't wait for that. Until next time from me and from Mr. Ryan King, I've been Andre Harris. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye.